is to reach your maximum potential. For you to get into a realm of life where you're living in the promises of God, not mere provisions, but promises, experiencing promises. God's plan for people was to bring them out of the realm of living in a desert and into a realm of living in the land of Canaan, a promised land, a beautiful land. His plan for you is to bring you out of wastelands and out of desolation and make your life into the garden of God. That's God's plan. God's had that on his mind right from the beginning. I like God's plans. And we can get into all types of deep studies of of various ramifications of God's plans, but when it comes right down to the basic, simple fact, God's plan is to lift my life into the very best experiences I could possibly have. That's God's plan. For me to have a maximum effect on other people for the kingdom of God. For me to maximize my potential for others to be born of the Spirit of God. For me to maximize my potential of revealing Jesus Christ to other people on this earth. God's plan for you is to maximize your potential and make you into a powerhouse that no devil can run over, that no depression can get a grip on you, to make you into the kind of stable, firm-rooted, deep kind of person that doesn't get tossed around and bent around with every wind of doctrine that blows by, but you become a stable person that has the ability to take hold of the kingdom of God and bring it together onto this earth. So that when heaven kisses the earth, you're right in the middle of the kiss. <laughs> Woo, that's where I like to be. <laughs> There's a man in the in the Bible that gives us that kind of, of freshness. Uh, it gives us that kind of a of a reality of a man who wouldn't quit and wouldn't give up. A man who would go ahead and see things through so that he experienced what God had told him he could have. His name is Joshua. And he's a man of such great stability. And he's a man that I believe is a man for this time period that we live in. Because he's a man who would go into a land of promise in spite of the murmurings and the complainings of all the people that were around him, he wouldn't quit or give up or slow down or would not allow himself to be overcome with the, the negativism and the doubts and the lies and the hypocrisies of everybody that was around him. You know, it's hard when people around you are continually complaining about God or complaining about the Bible, or complaining about church, or complaining about something, it's hard to go ahead and car carry on in a joyful fashion when everybody around you is complaining. You know, the people you associate with have an effect on you, whether you believe that or not. <clears throat> they have an effect on you. It's important that we know that we're associating with the kind of people, and we're identifying with the kind of people that are portraying what we are uh, drawing ourselves toward. I'll be honest with you, I don't want to hang around with a bunch of failures. I mean, just to put it real straight to you, I don't want to hang around a bunch of people that don't get their prayers answered. I don't want to be around people all the time surrounding me that don't know how to walk with God or that are living in compromises in their life. Just blatant rebellion. I don't want to be around that. I don't want fellowship with them. I refuse to fellowship with that. Do you know why? Because fellowship is a two-way street. Fellowship is me giving and receiving from those to whom I, with whom I'm fellowshipping. I don't want to receive some of the things they've got. So if I'm going to fellowship and I'm going to fellowship with them, I'm going to be in trouble. Now there's a difference between fellowship and ministry. To someone. Every one of us are, are ministers in the kingdom, ministers of the new covenant. We carry a message of reconciliation. You carry within your being a message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? Now there's a difference between ministering that good news to somebody and giving them hope and possibility. There's a difference between that and fellowship. See, there's no fellowship between light and darkness. There just isn't. 
I don't want to fellowship with negativism. Because that means I'm drawing from that as well as, as trying to put into that person. I'm drawing from that person. I don't want to draw from that person. And if that's you, honey, I don't want you. I don't want to draw from you. Doesn't mean I don't love you. Just means I don't want to fellowship with you. Is that all right to say that this early in a seminar? It's important who we associate with. I want to identify with people who were overcomers. I want to draw from the people in the Bible that were overcomers. Joshua was an overcomer. He had the spirit of an overcomer. He was a winner. He knew how to stand and stand firm and stand tall. He was a man of fearless faith. He was a man who... Though he was surrounded nearly completely by unbelief, by complaining and murmuring and people who were divided in their loyalties, though he was nearly surrounded, there was just really one other man, and no doubt they were close. That was Caleb. They were the only two that believed what God had told them, that they could have the land of promise. They were the only two who believed it. They had seen that land. They had walked on that land. They believed what God had told them, that where the soles of their feet had tread, they could possess it. And they believed it throughout the years. These are the kind of men that I want to draw from and find out what made them tick. Find out what made a man like Joshua, the great leader of God's armies that he became. What was it about Joshua that made him a mighty man of faith? What is it about Joshua that, that caused God to call him to lead a nation into a land of promise and not use Moses? God did not use Moses to bring the children of Israel into the land of promise. God used Joshua. And there are reasons why God did not use Moses, but he used Joshua. There are reasons. There are reasons that God uses one person and does not use another. There are reasons. There are reasons that one person is successful in the kingdom of God and another is not. There are reasons. There are reasons why God blesses everything one person sets his hand to and, and it doesn't seem like the blessing of God's on anything this other guy's doing. There are reasons. And there are not reasons that God has chosen of his own. The reasons are those reasons that people have chosen. There were things in Moses that God could not use at that point in time to bring a nation of people into the land of promise. There were, there were reasons God wouldn't use him to do. God used Moses to do many great things. He was a great man of faith. You can't take anything away from Moses. You can't. I mean, the man was fabulous. He was powerful. He walked with God. He saw God, talked to him face to face. You can't take anything away from him. I wouldn't try it. That's not my point. But my point is that God did use Joshua. And there are characteristics that we find early in his life that help us understand why God used him. And that's what I want us to look at tonight. There are some significant characteristics that God shows us in the life of Joshua that are principles for spiritual achievement. There are principles for spiritual leadership. There are principles for people who want to attain promises, the promise of God, and walk in the realm that God has called you to. There are principles. And I want us to examine them because I believe they could have a very dramatic effect on your attitude. I believe, as the man said, your attitude will determine your altitude. Your attitude in the kingdom will determine how far you go in the kingdom. Your attitude toward God, toward His promises, toward His Word, toward His people, your attitude will determine your ability to be able to help other people, and it will determine your capacity to expand in the kingdom. Your attitude. Joshua had some significant characteristics that revealed to us his attitude toward God, and that's what I want us to deal with. So we're, we are going to read something from the Bible. In Exodus chapter 24. 
In Exodus chapter 24, let's begin reading from verse 12. The Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount, and be there. And I will give thee tablets of stone, and a law, and commandments, which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. He said to the elders, Tarry ye here for us, until we come again unto you, and behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let them come unto them. Moses went up into the mount, and the cloud covered the mount. The glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. The seventh day God called out unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount forty days and forty nights. God called Moses. God directed Moses' steps. Moses went into the mount. He took his servant Joshua with him. Joshua was the minister to Moses at this time. He was the young commander of God's armies, but his first priority was that he ministered to Moses. When God spoke to Moses, Moses got up immediately to go into the mount and talk with God. Joshua arose and went with him. They went to the mount, and Moses told the other men, You wait here. The two of us will return. Very similar to a statement that Abraham made once when he took, Isaac, uh, took his son Isaac into the mount. Moses went into the mountain to talk with God. But we know that Moses was alone in the presence of God. God spoke only to Moses. Joshua was not there. Moses was having an experience with God. If you were to look up on the mountain, you would see the mighty cloud of God's holy presence devouring that mountain. And where Moses stood suddenly became engulfed by the cloud of God's presence. Moses stood in the very presence of God and the glory of God, the lightning bolts, the earth shaking, the power of God there where Moses stood. How I many of you know Moses was having an experience? <laughs> Moses was in the presence of God. Where was Joshua? Joshua wasn't there. Joshua was somewhere on the slopes of the mountain. He had gone with Moses up into the mountain, but he didn't go all the way into the mountain because God dealt with Moses alone. Joshua stayed on the slopes. He did not go back down to the camp. Before very long, he began to hear singing. He began to hear dancing and a commotion that was going on in the camp as they began to build a golden calf for the nation to worship. He heard the sounds, but he would not go down. He knew where he belonged. He belonged on the side of the mountain. He was a man of complete loyalty to God and to Moses. He was a man who was determined to serve God and stay where he belonged. There are times when you do not feel like you're in the mainstream of what's happening. There are times when everybody else is having an experience, it seems like. And they're having a great testimony. And something really dramatic has happened in their life. And there you are on the slopes. It's cold on the slopes. It's lonely at times on the slopes. Everybody else is in the camp or up in the mountain. They're either talking and walking with God and having visions and revelations and the glory of God, or they're down in the camp goofing off. And there, there you are on the slopes. God's taking care of Moses. Moses is not worried about what he's having for dinner. He's not thinking about if he's getting enough water. He's not worried about having enough blankets. He's in the presence of God. Joshua is on the slopes. Nobody's fixing him dinner. Nobody's tucking him in at night. He's on the slopes alone. But he knows he's exactly where he belongs. He's not intimidated by this. He's not uncomfortable in his spirit. He belongs to God, and he's there to stay where God wants him, and to do what God's told him to do, 
Though he feel isolated at that moment, and though there be no glory that's attached to it, and though nobody has any idea that he's being faithful to God to stay on the slopes, that's exactly where he stayed. He wasn't having visions and revelations and God speaking to him and laser beams writing in rock before his eyes. He was on the slopes alone. I don't know about you. I don't wake up every morning with great visions and revelations and the, the sky's opening up and there's the throne of God and God's speaking to me and angels come sweeping through the room. That just doesn't happen every morning. Just two, three times a week. But, well, less than that, but... But uh, that's just not the way we live. How many of you live like that? I'm gonna cast that lying devil out of you. Put your hand up. We don't live with those visions and revelations and, and dramatics and, and angels and everything all the time. Joshua was on the slopes of the mountain where it was cold and where he was isolated and where he was lonely and, and uh, he didn't know how long this was going to go on. I mean, we read this, all right, 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, I could gear myself for that. I could think, okay, it, 40 days, 40 nights, and, and, and then it'll be over. Then I'll go get me a good hamburger and uh, get my jammies on, tuck myself into my own little bed and be real cozy, see. 40 days, 40 nights on the side of a mountain. All right, we, he didn't know that it was going to be over in 40 days. He was there until Moses came back. That's it. And he stayed where he belonged until Moses came back. He wasn't about to turn his back and run and go down to the comforts of the camp. Or trying to exalt himself into an elevation where he didn't belong. He stayed right where he belonged because he knew that where he was is where God had him. He was content. There's a difference between contentment and complacency. Contentment is content in God. There's no frustration in that. I'm not frustrated because other things aren't happening. I am content. I know that God's alive in me and working in my life. And that I'm where I belong. I'm content. But I am not complacent. I'm not laying back. I'm not being lazy. But I am content. Do you, you see that there's a difference? It's important that we walk with God contently, but not complacently. Joshua, on the side of the slopes, was content to serve God in whatever way God saw fit, though there was no glamour, though there was no clamoring, though there was no cheering, he was content to stay on the slopes until Moses returned. He was faithful to God and remained on the side of the mountain. Sometimes we just have to be faithful to God in what we know to be the will of God for us right now. There is a point and a time when you may not feel like you're in the mainstream of everything that's happening. You may not feel like the miracles have been coming to you. You may not feel like you've been getting a fair shake in things, but you know what? There's a time when we must be, must walk contently and not allow the questions that come up and arise to distract us from walking with God. Questions will arise. We all have them. You have questions as to why, why this happened, what, the, what, what happened over here, and what, what's going on this way. But many times we have questions. But don't let the questions become a distraction that take you off the path or take you back down into the camp where everybody else is fooling around. You just stay where you belong. And let the loyalty that's inside of you supersede the questions that come up. It doesn't mean we're to relax and everything and just not try to find out anything. That's not the point. But the point is, many times, too many times, the questions become the distractions. And we ask, why, why, why? Why this? Why that? Why the next thing? Lord, why me? 
Lord, why not me? Lord, why him? See? Yeah, just keep asking these questions. Why, why, why? Forget it. That'll drive you up the wall. It'll start rattling your mind. It'll get you distracted off of what God's really trying to do in your life. Joshua was faithful. He refused to compromise. He refused to go back down the mountain. He stayed loyal where he belonged. Loyalty is a word you need to meditate on. Loyal to God. Loyal to his work. Loyal to his people. Loyal to his men and women. Loyal to what God is calling us to do. Loyal and faithful to take care of the basics in life. Take care of the basics of the kingdom. That I go ahead and do what I know the kingdom says to do, whether I understand everything going on around me or not. I know the Bible teaches me and directs me to study the Word, to show myself approved. So whether I understand everything or not, I'm going to study it. Because that's what the Bible says do. That's a basic. If I just have to go and do some basic things, then I'm going to go do them rather than be distracted. So I study to show myself approved. I pray, pray in the Spirit, pray in the Holy Ghost, pray in, in tongues, pray with my understanding, seek the Lord, pray for people, pass out tracts, pray for sick people, give tithes and give offerings and, and give other things and do anything that I know the Bible says to do in spite of whether I think everything's working or not. I know the Bible works. Joshua knew that he was right where he belonged, on the slopes. So he stayed there, and he was faithful to the basics, though it got cold at night, and though he had to go dig around to find his own food. Nobody was taking care of him. He just had to go ahead and do it himself. There was a mountain climber described his experience. He said coming down the mountain is not like going up the mountain. Going up the mountain... You're filled with anticipation, filled with excitement, filled with, with zeal and, and adrenaline. And you get to the top of the mountain and you've conquered this mountain. Boy, you feel great. There you stand on top and you look over the valleys and over the other mountains around and you feel like you have really done it. So once the exhilaration wanes, you have to come down the mountain. Coming down the mountain is different than going up the mountain. Because coming down the mountain, the excitement is gone. You think about home. You think about your cozy little bed. You think about being off of this mountain. But he said, as a mountain climber, you learn quickly. You never enter the darkness. If you see that you are going to not make it down the mountain, before dark, you, you begin to make plans to spend the night in the mountain. You never enter the darkness. He said, so as I would be coming down the mountain and I'd see I was not going to make it before dark, I began to look for a place to stay the night. Hopefully I could find a, a flat place where I might be able to lie down flat, but it didn't always work that way. Sometimes I would have to find a crevice or some place. I might have even been nearly standing upright. But I had to wedge myself into the crevice and then maybe tie myself in so I wouldn't fall out in the night. He said, you, you got very uncomfortable in the mountain at night. He said, it got very cold in the mountain at night. He said, but it was not important that I was cold and it's not important that I was uncomfortable he said, what's important is that I was there in the morning. That's what's important. It's not important that you feel isolated at times. It's not important that you feel uncomfortable at times. And it's not important that you feel as though things are not working at times. What's important is that you're there in the morning. What's important is that you find yourself a very secure place and remain loyal to God and remain loyal to the kingdom and to God's people and God's men and women and you not allow the distractions that can come up to get you out of where you belong. So that when the dawn comes, you're still there. 
There's too many casualties in the kingdom of people who became disenchanted with certain things because not everything clicked just like they wanted it to click. Man, they were thinking everything going to click just nice and right, and man, we're going to get it on and have a good time in the kingdom and everything be all right, and it just didn't work quite that way. I said, why didn't it happen? I don't know. I mean, they said, I mean, the pastor told me it would. And everybody, all of these testimonies. And, and they, everything happened so wonderful for everybody else. And then I come along and nothing seemed to be happening right. What am I going to do? You're going to strap yourself in where you belong. And you're going to be there in the morning. And when the sun comes up and you begin to see clearly again, you're going to be where you belong. You're not going to have flake out somewhere or be down off the mountain on to the uh, back in the camp where everybody else is goofing off and worshiping some other god. You're going to be right where you belong, loyal to God, just like Joshua was before anybody cared about Joshua. Nobody cared about Joshua. Nobody knew he would be the next great leader of this nation. Nobody knew that God would make him into the, one of the mightiest commanders of God's army that anybody had ever known or seen. He did things so unusual and out of the ordinary, it still makes people nervous. Nobody knew that about him. He was just Joshua, you know, Moses' servant. The guy that hung around on the slopes of the mountain for over a month. You know, the guy with kind of too much air between his ears. But what they didn't realize is that this was a quality of a man who had not been moved by anything. It was a quality of a man who would become a great leader and would become a commander of God's nation, a leader of God's armies, a conqueror of, of kingdoms because he could not be moved off of his loyalty toward God. He could not be moved. He was a man of stability. He was a man of courage. He was a man of faith. He was a man who is just exactly what you and I need to find out about so we can have those qualities begin to function in our life. God wants to make a conqueror out of you. He wants to make a leader out of you. He wants to make somebody who's loyal with, with, without divided loyalties, but single loyalty with a single clear desire. And the same qualities that are in Joshua can begin to function in you. Now, there's a second quality. Turn to chapter 30, 32, chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. We'll find a second quality. Let's begin reading in verse 15. Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hands. The tables were written on both of their sides, on the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he, Moses, said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. Moses had been told by God what was happening in the camp. God had already told Moses while he was in the mount that the, the children of Israel were in the camp and had made a golden calf and begun to worship this golden calf and begun to sing and to dance and to carry on in a very demon-inspired fashion worshiping this new God that they had created from their gold which they had taken from Egypt. Moses knew what was happening in the camp. 
It was not a warfare on an outward level. It was not another kingdom that had come against Israel to wage war. They were singing and they were dancing, but Joshua had not heard this from God. He had heard only the sound of the singing and the sound of the dancing. He heard the same sounds that Moses heard, but he had a very different perception of them. His perception is very important. It's significant to his character and what made him a great leader. Because his perception of the sounds that he was hearing, though he was hearing singing, though he was hearing dancing, what he perceived from that was that there was a war going on. And it was a spiritual war to take God's people, God's nation, away from God. And he heard the sound of the war that was going on. He had a spiritual sensitivity that his elder Moses had not really walked in at that time. It was a different sort of sensitivity. It was a different sort of perception than what Moses, his elder, had. It was that spiritual perception that caused him to later on become the kind of commander that would take a city by sending the trumpet players and the priests and the warriors and the women and the children and the donkeys and the oxen out to war. Nobody did that ever. That's not the way you go into battle. You keep all of the stuff and all the kiddos and all the donkeys and all the, the trumpet players, you keep them out of the way so that all the warriors can go out and kill everybody. That's how you do battle, see. But now Joshua. Joshua hears from God another way to do battle. He had a spiritual sensitivity to understand spiritual warfare and that spiritual warfare was the key to natural warfare. And when he understood that, was revealed right here. He understood that early in his experience. He understood that to deal correctly with any situation that comes up in the form of warfare against me is not to become hostile toward the people, not to get offended because of the way they treat me, not to get offended because the wife burns the toast, but to realize but if that's getting my goat, as they say, if that's getting to me, there's more going on than just the toast being burnt. Why is it that such little, insignificant situations can escalate into such major and dramatic problems in a household? Honey? If you fold my socks like that again, I am going to cut your head off. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He wants to tell you as a husband, if you come in this house again with them dirty shoes on, we're through. I mean, you know, a seemingly relatively insignificant situation. I mean, the folding of your socks, we appreciate. You want them folded a certain way. <laughs> but it's not worth chopping her head off over. It's a funny thing. We get very drastic sometimes over some very insignificant things at times. And you know why that happens? It's not merely... Because we're tired of that happening. Sometimes, many times, a warfare is taking place to try to steal your confidence from your time in prayer with God and fellowship with God and to begin to slowly put a wedge into your life to separate you from those areas of confidence that you could be walking in. That doesn't mean every little activity and every little thing is a demon and we're just out chasing demons. That's not my point. But the point is there are many things that we have to realize there is more going on to attack me than just the minor situation. You know, some people, they just get infuriated immediately. You know, they just go wild. They throw things around and they, they get mad, they scream, they yell, they holler, they, they grab people. You know. 
There's a warfare going on. You know, it's hard to step out of that situation and pray in faith. It's hard to step out of that situation and then come into church. Oh, God, I love you. I worship you. Oh, hello, brother. So good to see you. It's hard to walk with any confidence with God and have any experiences that mean anything when you're under the kind of warfare that's stealing your confidence out from under you. Does that make any sense to you? There are times we must perceive the spiritual warfare coming against us. It's not just flesh and blood that we're dealing with. It's not your boss. It's not just your uh, government. It's not just your wife. It's not just your kids. It's not just your dog or your cat that's stealing your joy. It's that you are under attack because you are a marked person. You have the authority of Jesus Christ You've got the power of God's Word and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and you become a person of power that has the opportunity to do great damage to the kingdom of darkness. If you can grow in confidence, you can become a very dangerous person. If you can be defeated early on to where your confidence is, is stolen from you, To where maybe you get in a position where you never will regain that, that type of thinking that you once had of how great the power of God could flow through you. If that could be stolen from you, if that could be taken from you, then Satan has won a great battle and the rest of your days will be spent in idle defeat when it comes to dealing with the realm of darkness. Joshua had a spiritual perception of things. The Bible clearly says that we have weapons that are not carnal weapons. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4 says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We have weapons to do war and battle with. They are not carnal weapons. They are not mental weapons. They are spiritual weapons to do spiritual warfare. Those have to be used. You can't beat a spiritual battle using carnal means. You can't always just uh, get a hold of a good psychology book and work your way out of your problem, honey. There's more to your problem than psychology. And I, I got no problems with psychologists. Got no problems with psychology. God bless them. Help them. Do them good. But you can't fight the strategies of the enemy. You can't deal with them through carnal means. They have to be dealt with, with the spiritual weapons. We have to recognize a spiritual attack that comes against us. How many of you have ever been under a spiritual attack? You, you, how many of you have never been under a spiritual attack? If you had your hand up, I'd say you're under one right now. <laughs> so, you know what I'm talking about. We've been under spiritual attack. You've been in a position where, where Satan looked like he had backed you into a corner. You didn't know how you were going to get out. Maybe your marriage right now looks like there's no hope for it. You're under attack right now. Your home looks like it's crumbling. It's about to fall apart. Maybe your mind is in it right now under so much pressure. You feel the load. You feel the weight of the attack that's been against you. Your mind. You feel weak in your mind. You feel like you're slipping. You feel like you're about to lose it. Maybe you feel like life isn't worth living any longer. You're under an attack of the devil. You're under a spiritual attack that requires spiritual weapons, not carnal weapons. We can't get the psychology books out to get you out of your problems. We can't get a shot uh, from the doctor for you to fix your problem. But we can feed you faith from God's Word. And we can get you out of the hell you've been living in. Joshua understood spiritual warfare. And he became a great commander and leader because he did. We understand spiritual warfare. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're not ignorant of his devices. 
That's what the Bible said. Paul said you can't be ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of his devices. He has devices. How many of you know he has devices? He's got strategies he'll use against you. Some of you thought I was about to dismiss. You're wrong. Some people try to stay ignorant of his devices. That's why they end up living in hell on earth. But we're not ignorant of the devices of the devil. We don't, we don't wrestle with people. The Bible says we wrestle with principalities and powers. We have a spiritual perception and we understand that we have authority to deal with it. I have the authority to do what we just did here. I have it. I, I'm not trying to drum it up or muster it up. I've got it. I've got the authority to do that. I would do you a disservice if I did not do what I have the authority to do. Any officer of the law that fails to keep the law does the community a disservice. He has the authority to keep the law. He does not do it. He's failing the community because he doesn't do what he has the authority to do. You have the authority to deal with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. You have the authority, but more than the authority, you have the responsibility to do something about what comes against you. You husbands, it's time you learn to take your little wife's hand and caress that little hand and pet that little hand and say, Oh, Jesus, thank you for my wife. I speak the blessing of God on her and on this home. I pray in Jesus' name for peace in her mind, for, for the, the things of the Spirit of God to come alive inside of her. Just take her little hand and pray it right out loud, right where her little ears can hear it. The greatest comfort you can give your home is that you have the, the strength and the spiritual fortitude to stand up and pray for your household. They don't just need a good provider. Your household doesn't just need the money coming in. What your household needs is a man who will be a man of God to his home and understand the spiritual place that you take as a man to pray. And take your honey's little hand and, and you say, Oh, Jesus, bless my wife and bless my home and make me into a man of God over this house. Make me into a man of spiritual understanding that no enemy comes against my home that I can't deal with. I have the authority to deal with it. In Jesus' name, I speak peace into my own home. And I receive wisdom to lead my home and to teach my children and to love my wife. You start praying like that and look out. You're in for the time of your life. Before to God, say that's that's not masculine. That's not macho. That's not being rough and tough, rough and mean. Man, I mean that's women. Women do the praying. That's why you're so goofed up, buddy. You don't have any idea what a man is. <laughs> you say you wouldn't say that to my face. Well, bring your face up here. I'll say it to you. There's a third characteristic. Could you take it? Could you take one more characteristic? How many of you could take it? How many of you will come tomorrow if I give it? Quickly, in chapter 33. I told you, I wasn't done. I wasn't done. You just got to go with the flow. You follow the Holy Ghost. Doesn't mean you're done. It just means you're doing something else. <laughs> and now I'm, I'm doing something else again. Chapter 33, verse 12. Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people. Wait a minute. Am I in the right place? 
start in verse 9. Came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses, and the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. This tent Moses set up outside of the camp because he was, he was up to here with Israel, to be honest with you. They'd been worshiping a golden calf. He'd been up talking to God. He came back and they were all goofed up. They were worshiping some golden cow, a baby cow, worshiping a cow made out of gold. Crazy. Like Brother Norval Hay said, the devil is crazy and he'll make you do crazy things. Bow down and worship a cow. A cow. In some nations, they'd rather feed a cow than feed people. Keep the cows well fed. Let the people die. Honey, slit that cow's throat and eat it. Say, well, we have to respect the religions. You have to, maybe. I don't. They were worshiping a cow. I mean, can you imagine bowing yourself down in front of a cow? Dance, dancing around a little cow? Where a little cow? Dance around it a while? That's what they were doing. It. You'd be fed up to here with those people too. Moses had had it. So he set his tent up outside of the camp. And went out to that tent and began to pray. And God began to speak to him. He had a place where he could go and be refreshed with the presence of God. So he went and he prayed in that place. And all the children of Israel rose up. They, they worshipped. But they worshipped the Lord because Moses was back. Verse 11, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. And he turned again, Moses did, into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. This was the tabernacle where Joshua was with Moses when he heard the word of the Lord come to Moses. This was where Joshua heard God's voice. He saw the pillory cloud of God's presence. He was there as God spoke to Moses. It wasn't like on the mountain where he stayed on the outside of things. Now he was right in the middle of things. He had seen the presence of the Lord. He had experienced something about God. And he chose rather than to go back into the camp, he chose to identify himself with God and stay in that tabernacle. Once he had discovered where God would speak, where he could hear it, he chose to identify with that place more than to identify with the other people. It was a characteristic about him that would not be moved away from God in spite of people. He had a hunger and a thirst after God that would seek God more than anything. He desired God because he knew if he got a hold of God's wisdom, if he could tap into God himself, then God would exalt him in the other areas of life. You see, the reality of the gospel is this. That when we tap into God, God begins to reveal in our life, life to the fullest. The very best that it could possibly be. The very top of what life really is. Some people get nervous about the kingdom and they say, yeah, but I've got to give up so much. What is it that, that you need to give up? Well, I've got to give up all that smoking, you know, I shouldn't be smoking, you know. I've got to give up all that drinking and, and, and uh, all the wild parties I've been going to. I've got to give up driving like a maniac. You know? all these, I gotta, it's too much, too much, it's too heavy, I can't give all that up. Oh, you really got it tough just giving up things that are killing you. Oh, you just have to give up everything that's just driving you to a grave, huh? I mean, that's really demanding a lot. I'll be honest with you. I smoke all I want to. Right now? Yep. I drink all I want to. I do. I do all the drugs I want to do. 
jump in the sack with all the women I want to. I just don't want to. There's just one woman. My wife. My first wife. And my last wife. Same wife. I smoke all I want to, I just don't want to smoke. I drink all I want to, I just really don't want to drink. I do all the drugs I want to, I just, I just don't do any because I don't want to do any. I drive as crazy as I want to drive. I just don't want to drive crazy. And I don't want in your car if you're driving crazy. Because I began to find out what living life to the fullest really was all about. That it wasn't about seeing how many chemicals I could put into my body all the same time and still live through it. That isn't what it was about. It wasn't about seeing how, how far I could slide doing 70 miles an hour on my seat on the pavement and see if I still sit straight. That's not what life is all about. I began, that's how I used to live. But I don't anymore because I don't want to because I found out what Jesus would do to me and I'm not going to step down off of what Jesus has lifted my life into so I could live on some low, dying, dead, corrupted level again at all of that mess I ever needed much more than I needed. Joshua chose to identify with God with the word of the Lord with the presence of God he chose to stay in the tabernacle where he could fellowship with God, where he heard God's voice, where he saw God's presence, where he felt the move of God, where he was in God's presence experiencing something about God. He chose to identify with that instead of identifying with the people or instead of identifying with the rebellion, instead of identifying with a, a cow. He chose to identify with God. When you choose to identify with God, the, the rest of it seems to become very unimportant. Suddenly all the rest of those things become so unimportant because you realize that the source of life is available to you. The source of all miracles is available to you. The source of strength and power and stability is available to you. And when you discover that, you want to stay in that tabernacle. You want to stay in that tent. You want to stay where you can get that kind of power operating in your life. I don't want out, do you? I mean, this for good, honey. This is the way I want it. I just, if anything, just want more of the same. Amen.